Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is Tuesday, the sixth of June. 2023, um, June 6th makes it D-Day. And so we're going to turn our attention to that a little bit um, later this morning. I want to open, as we always do, with our Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Luke chapter 16. If you haven't signed up to receive the verse of the day in your inbox first thing every morning, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. We've also got a lot of other great resources for you there as well. MyFaithRadio.com. So Luke chapter 16, verses 10 and 11. This is Jesus speaking. Um, This is actually a part of a larger parable that he tells. Um, If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger things. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, well, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. So there's a lot of if in here. Um, Some very big ifs in this teaching from Jesus. Uh, And we don't like to think of Jesus or God suggesting that anything is conditional. (laughs) Like we, we, we like to imagine that it's all unconditional. And God's judgment, however, is not unconditional. The whole concept of judgment is based on conditions. That, that is what judgment is about. So who is in a position to judge your faithfulness would be a part of the question um, that's beneath and behind this teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 16. If you are faithful in little things, suggest that someone is in a position to judge your faithfulness in little things. Um. And if you are dishonest in little things, suggest that someone is in a position to judge whether or not you are honest. And if you are trustworthy in worldly wealth, suggest that someone is in a position to judge whether or not you are trustworthy. So the ifs in this teaching are significant. If is a word that obviously describes conditionality. If means there's a condition to be met. If can be replaced with various, I don't know, conditional conjunctions. I don't know, the grammarians out there might be wincing right now. What I'm thinking of uh, are phrases or words like provided that, as long as, supposing, or on the condition that. So let's reread these verses, replacing the word if with some of those conditional conjunctive phrases. So on the condition that you are faithful in little things, then uh, you demonstrate your reliability to be faithful or trusted in larger things. But as long as you are dishonest in little things, 
you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. God has entrusted you as a steward over some of what he has made here on earth. Um, And why would he trust you with the riches of heaven as long as you are untrustworthy with worldly wealth? So you and I know how to count and account for worldly wealth, but this uh, parable of, of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, does suggest that these true riches of heaven are not exactly counted for or accounted as worldly wealth. So if you're wondering what are the true riches of heaven, Paul describes some of that in Ephesians chapter 3. Here's the list, the glory of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, the life of God, the love of God. These are the true riches of heaven. But the true riches of heaven most certainly begin with the gift of access to God himself. So a restored relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the greatest treasure that we could ever hope for. Um, The trust of an actual relationship, God entrusting himself to us, that relationship um, where we're not only fully known, which is already true, but where we fully know. The true riches of heaven certainly include like the wedding feast of the Lamb, but it's the seat at the table with the Lord that's the real blessing. Being with him is the reward. The streets of transparent gold and the crown, yeah, those are going to be very cool, but the embrace and the welcome into his everlasting arms, I mean, that's the most golden gold. So spend some time today reflecting on the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. Do you desire them? Do you long for them? Do you long for the Father's embrace? Do you, I mean, do you just long to be with him? That's the judgment that is before us uh, in terms of um, this conditionality that Jesus talks about. I mean, sure, it's one thing for us to be stewards over the things of the world. It's another thing to be entrusted with Jesus himself. Uh, It's graduation season. Nick Pitts is going to join us next. Uh, We're going to talk about a young woman named Skye. She's from Texas. She was born in jail. And this fall, she's headed off to Harvard. That story up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Nick Pitts is back. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can check out some of what he works on at thebriefing.net. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Carmen, and a happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday. So um, I thought this morning that as we talk about Aurora Sky Katzner um, and um, and the fact that, I mean, I want to say that she was raised by a single dad, but I think that this story is so much about the fact that he had so many concentric circles of help in his community that so many people are involved in the life of this young woman. Um, so tell us Sky's story. Uh, it's just, it's incredible. Um, everything's bigger in Texas, including graduation stories. So Conroe, which is a, a community right outside of Houston, this uh, girl is graduating this year from high school, and but she was born under unique circumstances. And that she, the day she was born, she was actually born in a jail. Her mother was in jail, and her father came to pick her up um, when she was born and raised her as a single dad. But as you've alluded to, she was just surrounded by individuals and by uh, little communities, little platoons to help not only uh, 
fan the flame of the gifts that God had given to her, but now to the extent that they saw in something in her, continued to see that potential turn into a reality. And that, that curiosity and that intellect was, was spurred on, and now she'll be making her way to Harvard, uh, where she's going to go study law. It was just a, uh, sadly, it's a, it, sadly, it's a story that uh, is a reality, but also it's, it's beautiful how it's turned out thus far. Um, yeah, you know, I want to sell- that- Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, no, I just wanted to, you know, I, I want to celebrate those elementary school teachers who like took an interest in her and recognized her voracious appetite for reading. And I want to celebrate the people who started the mentoring program in Montgomery County, Texas, and Mona Hamby, who volunteered for the program. And you know, sitting in the cafeteria at lunch with this little eight-year-old girl and um, and saying to herself, like, this, this child's going to need more than an hour a week. Like, this is, like, she'd never been to get her a proper haircut. She needed, you know, she needed glasses. And that's not to say that her dad wasn't doing all he could, but, I mean, I think you and I can both imagine how challenging um, it is to try to raise a child on your own and to be committed to that and all the things that are required. So I just love the the sort of the the way that the community, the Lions Club and doctors and dentists and an orthodontist and a professor who helped her apply to college. And um, there's there's just all of these circles of support. And I think that I want to encourage that today. Um, how can oh. each and every one of us, right, engage in our community with with a family that needs encouragement and support. Oh yeah, I, I I think any parent, and I'm I'm new to the game, but any parent would say that even when you have your partner, parenting is still tough. You still need a community. So just imagine if you had one hand tied behind your back, or you were just the single parent, and that's a reality for forty plus percent of kids in the U.S. today. Forty one percent of kids that are born in the U.S. are born into a single parent family, and so the but. The, uh, the tragedy of that is, is 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 matched by the generosity of the American spirit, because there's individuals like the, like you mentioned, the Kiwanis Club. There's en- entities and individuals that are just teachers that are willing to go above and beyond to be able to help out because there's so many kids that are not in the ideal uh, where there's a two parent household. But there's an opportunity to come alongside these kids and to really help shepherd and help form them and help tap into that joy that's found when they utilize those gifts that God has given to them um, uh, uh, for goodness and contributions to the community. Mm, so good. All right. Um, do you have the dream of having children? Uh, apparently, increasingly, um generations of emerging adults don't dream of having children. They dream of having dogs. So we're going to talk about this shift in the way that people think about um, milestones in adult life and um, maybe where those milestones are misplaced along the way uh, and how important marriage and children actually are to society. We're going to have that conversation with Nick Pitts in just a moment. Would you prefer to have a dog over a child? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. The Bible is valuable, and reading and studying the Bible can transform your life. Hi, I'm Angela Smith, host of Reading the Bible Together podcast. Several times a year, we release a new Reading the Bible Together study. We've studied Luke, Daniel, Advent, Lent, and so many more. 
You can access all of our studies for free by going to the Reading the Bible Together resource page at MyFaithRadio.com. In addition to the studies, we also have the accompanying podcast. You can listen wherever you listen to podcasts. You can study on your own, or if your small group or Bible study is looking for what to study next, check out the Reading the Bible Together resource page at MyFaithRadio.com. Nick Pitts is here. He has a pet. He also has a baby. Um, uh, Nick, what's the difference? That seemed like a good segue into the well, conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love little Freddie. Uh, he's not little anymore. He's about 65 pounds of, of fur and uh, inability to give you personal space. And then also have now, just because of a pediatrician appointment, we have a little 10-pounder, a uh, little oh, right. baby now. It's a little over two, two months old. And so... Uh, increasingly, we have a new generation that is preferring to um, that prefers p- pets over babies. And you know, there's a there's a variety of different aspects that are in play. The research is really clear on this. We're starting to get a picture that it's the reality that uh, increasingly Gen Z and we saw a latter half of millennials are preferring to quote unquote get their uh, get their uh, houses in order before they bring somebody else into it. So they want they prefer to buy the house, get the dog, um, and then welcome the partner in, which is kind of the opposite of what it's tended to be. And then we're also seeing pictures of just this idea that we know that man's best friend has an unconditional love and loyalty that they extend. It's just been a part of their. Uh, the the science behind them i mean there's even a science of the of the human animal bond now anthrozoology it's a uh it's a recent science category that's emerged from this that we're even seeing there's a survey out that said six and ten pet owners admit to confiding in their pets when they have a bad day and prefer to snuggle up with them as opposed to their partners um we're we're starting to see just this preference uh, of pet over baby uh, and it's continuing to work its way out in a variety of different ways so i had an experience yesterday nick you don't know this but uh i i now have a a 2.8 pound uh infant uh her name is cinnamini and she is a rat terrier and she's officially seven weeks old um and so she had her first vet appointment yesterday but on the way i needed because you know if you go to town from the farm you got to do the whole list so i needed to go to home depot and so i took her with me and let me just tell you that um if you want a really great customer service take a tiny puppy with you i don't think i would have gotten (laughs) the same response if i had walked through the doors of home depot with an infant a human being infant um and and so people's response to pets and particularly baby pets um, is different. And they, you know, the the whole staff that's, you know, just inside the Home Depot front door, right? They're like, oh, can we hold her? Can she hang out with us for a minute? I'm like, are you going to charge me for babysitting? They're like, no, no. And they talked about like, this is like, this is better than Prozac. Like, this is the greatest stress reliever. This is the, you know, this is a wonderful, um, you know, boost to our day. And I'm thinking to myself, we do have a completely different response to kitties and puppies um, than we do to, hey, can I hold that baby so you can do your shopping? Could I, hey, young mom, could I, it looks like you got a lot going on there. Could I help you with all of that? It's just a, it is different. It's different. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, they're a completely different response. Not now. I think there's there's a propensity. I call this the the crust of my crust of bread theory. There's a propensity to want to take one out for the other. And so the reason why I call it crust of bread is because you have individuals that when you're when you see someone that's eating eating a sandwich and they take off the crust of the bread, what they'll do is somebody will inevitably chime up and say, "You're missing the best part of the sandwich, the crust." When in reality, it's not the best. If they're honest, that's not the best part of the sandwich. The best part of the sandwich is is the main part of the sandwich. The cru- what they're trying to do, though, they're exaggerating to make a point. They're exaggerating to say that the crust is still is a good part of the sandwich. It's not the best part, but they're missing out on a good part of the sandwich. I think the propensity, if we take the crust of bread analogy and move it over to the pet uh, baby dynamic, is that pets are a really good thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, like even in, in Proverbs 12. The righteous have regard for the animal, right? Like God has given us dominion, as we know, in Genesis over animals. And there's really goodness that comes from it. One that shows our sign of external faithfulness as God is faithful to us and uh, and cares for us. We can be faithful and care for animals. And so I don't want to diminish the the fur baby, the animal human bond that's there. And then the, uh, the benefits that come from it as well. Just the lowering of anxiety and the lowering of stress and the increase of happiness that comes with animals. But I also don't want to miss the fact that, yes, animals are good, but man, babies are great. There's a reason why the psalmist says in Psalm 127 that they're the, that they're, they're, they're the heritage of the Lord, right? That they're, they're quivers and the air, arrows in the quiver of a warrior. They're blessed uh, are you with children. Like it's a, there's a richness that comes that is far superior to that of animals. Not that I don't want to take away anything from animals because animals can still be a really good thing. The crust is still good, but you're missing out on on a really, really good thing, which is babies and the opportunity and the joy that you have to train up someone um, uh, in order that they might be able to find their purpose and find uh, joy in serving after the Lord. And finally, it reminds me that any saying in the quote, I've got to say, it is that as sometimes your greatest, your greatest contribution in this life will be raising up another one. And I just, I'm always captivated mm. by that. I wake up every morning of the opportunity I have to be able to point Dottie towards it towards the glory of God and the joy of her soul. Little Dottie, praying for her, man. That's just so great. Um, Now let's pivot to other people who are confused about marriage and family in the culture today. Um, It's only been a couple of years that the word thruple has even been in our lexicon, Um, but there is now a thruple uh, making uh, quite a livelihood um, on TikTok. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on here and why so many people would be watching this? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's describe, uh, let's define what Thropple is. It's three individuals that are in a, a mutual, uh, quote-unquote, love or le- loving relationship. Um, and TikTok is a place where... Uh, the seemingly insignificant can uh, get amplified and seem to take on a greater level of significance. And that's what we're seeing here where there's a uh, account that's generated over a million followers um, as individuals are tuning in to see how that dynamic plays out. Um, And kind of the, it seems like a small, so you think about they have over a little over a million followers. And so that accounts for what it's less than, three tenths of a percent of the U S population. But, but then unfortunately we're starting to see research out of 
a poll done in 2021 that indicated that one in nine Americans um, would say that they've been in a relationship with one of three people and then one in six would like to try. And so um, it, it appears that TikTok is to a certain degree with legitimacy amplifying a desire that while not significant, one in nine, so it's a little over uh, 12%, but not insignificant either, which uh, is just is disturbing to say the least and frustrating because can't uh, it's hard to find the joy of what is it what we know true love is true love is uh the, the love that god has shown us is saying one yes to an infinite number of no's it's preferring deep to wide and unfortunately throbble does the exact opposite yeah that's so good i uh i, I remember a teaching on uh the the nature and the importance of exclusive monogamous male female marriage once and uh the the pastor saying you know it's not as if jesus asks us do you love me he asks do you love only me and that's the same question that you know is to happen between a man and a woman when they take their vows to one another um it's not do you love me and, you know, with the possibility of loving many others alongside me, it's do you love only me? Like there's the um, there's an exclusive reality to this that God intends. And um, and obviously the corruption of it in not only this uh, this this idea that three people might be involved in in a relationship, but in this case, they're they're all men. Um, and that complicates, um, obviously, the conversation even further. Nick, we got to leave it right there. Um, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Go be a blessed uh, husband and dad today. Um, give God the glory, you know, and, and, and take care of your pup as well. Oh, yeah, that's what that's who's moaning in the background right now. He wants breakfast. <laughs> the demands that this dog has for breakfast, right? no less. Have a great day, man. That's Nick Pitts. You can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. If you're not already subscribed, thebriefing.net. Great roundup each morning, uh, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. Also what we do right here uh, on Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. All right. Well, there's a lot uh, going on in the world, and our friend Luke Moon will be here in just a moment. Let me read you in on um, on, a, on one headline. But um, prior to that, let me remind us that today is the anniversary of D-Day. 156,000 Allied troops. So just get that number in your mind for just a moment. Um, think about the the largest. I mean, I don't even know. Uh, probably the that stadium at the University of Michigan. Um, 156,000 Allied troops landed along a 50-mile stretch of um, heavily fortified coastline. Normandy, France is where we're talking about. 1944 was the year. France was, at the time, occupied by the armies of Nazi Germany. At the time of the D-Day invasion, it was the largest naval, air, and land operation in history. Um, And within just a couple of days... 326,000 troops and more than 50,000 vehicles um, had landed. And by August of 1944, northern France had been liberated. And by the spring of 1945, the Allies had defeated um, the Nazi Germans. And so 
we really do think of D-Day as the beginning of the end of World War II, and we want to acknowledge it um, and those who served. I remember today, my friend Bob Stover, um, he was, I mean, he is now with the Lord, but he was at the time a young Navy captain. Um, He piloted one of the amphibious landing vehicles onto Omaha Beach. He was 21 at the time. And throughout his long and blessed life, um, Bob never forgot the horror nor the sacrifice of that day. Um, He remembered names and faces um, of those whom he personally saw cut down. Um, And I remember Bob sharing a devotion at a, at a board meeting of a Christian organization um, that we both served. I remember him saying, this won't be exact quote, but this is my recollection of what Bob shared with us. He said, you know, help has to come from the outside. That's what we knew that day. There was no way France was going to be liberated unless help came from the outside. And that's the story of the gospel. We are trapped behind enemy lines and dying salvation had to come from the outside and God knew it and he sent Jesus. That's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus does. And in the spirit of Jesus, we go at the cost of our own lives and our own livelihoods to save those who cannot save save themselves. Um, Bob said, um, Christians go where others will not because we know in life and in death, we belong to a God who went to hell and back to save us. Who would we be if we were not willing to go by his orders to seek and save others? Um, Who would we prove ourselves to be today if we were not willing to go in the name of Jesus to save those trapped behind enemy lines? And maybe they aren't the enemy lines of war. In some places, they certainly are. Um, But they're certainly behind the enemy lines of a spiritual war where they are kept us prisoners of war by the enemy. So good thoughts today on D-Day and pivoting from a war of old to one of the wars of today. Um, We're going to talk about what's going on in Ukraine with Luke Moon. One um, news update, a major dam in southern Ukraine was destroyed today, prompting mass evacuations Fears of large-scale devastation. There are some hundred towns and villages downstream of this particular dam. Um, The Ukrainians are blaming the Russians. The Russians are blaming the Ukrainians. And uh, one of the serious concerns, I mean, obviously there's a huge ecological and humanitarian concern, but there's also the concern that um, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is the largest nuclear power plant in all of Europe, um, may at some point not have enough water to uh, to cool the rods. So there's a lot going on on that story front. Luke is Luke Moon's going to join us next. We're going to um, talk a little bit about the Ukrainian counteroffensive, um, and then we're going to pivot to other headline news around the globe as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on in the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Luke Moon is back. You can find him at philosproject.org, also at providencemag.com. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Carmen. Uh, How's the Ukrainian counteroffensive started? Uh, Well, that's a good question. Depends on 
once again, who you ask. If you ask the Russians, it's going, you know, they've, they've stopped it at every front. And if you ask the Ukrainians, they're like, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, we're going to start any day now. So it's, uh, you know, it's again one of those situations, the fog of war. But one thing that, you know, is, is pretty obvious is this dam breach that happened uh, is likely a move against that counteroffensive. Um, you know, I stumbled upon this uh, thing on Twitter back in 1941. The Russians blew up a dam uh, in Ukraine to stop a German offensive. Uh, that dam... Uh, it, it ended up killing like uh, you know somewhere between uh, twenty and a hundred thousand Ukrainians when that dam was breached. But it's uh, you know people who study war, well, they study war. So you know it's it, if it's been done before, they'll people will likely do it again. So it's I mean it's a good uh, on the you know if the Russians did it, which I most likely the case. Um, then it's, you know, it's likely intended to slow the counteroffensive and divert resources to, you know, save all the people in harm's way and, and that kind of thing. Um, so. Yeah. Prayers, prayers continuing to ascend on that front. I don't want us to, um, you know, to fail to keep appropriate focus in that direction, but I also want to pivot our attention to um, the collision of trains in India um, causing not only a derailment, but the largest um, catastrophe uh, in terms of the loss of human life, um, in terms of a of a rail accident in India's history. Can you, for people who aren't read in on this, can you tell us what happened? Yeah, uh, there was a basically a switch was failed, uh, and a car, a, a train full of. Um, you know, college students and people had kind of heading off uh, for holiday uh, ended up colliding with a freight train head on uh, and just kind of it was, you know, both were going full speed and not anticipating to to hit each other. Uh, and, and it led to right now over 288 people have died, uh, 850 have been injured. Um, and, it you know, it's really a a catastrophe it was it's it's tragic yeah absolutely um i think that in the midst of it it's a it's a reminder that worldview matters and that um, life is precious and we're compelled to share the good news of the gospel with people not only who live next door to us but people who are our neighbors around the world um, who live you know without access to the gospel in many cases and so it's always it's always a reminder to me when things take place in in a cultural context that is, in many cases, deprived of um, a lot of Christians who would be bearing positive public witness in the midst. So um, just, you know, prayers emerging or arising there as well. Um, when, you, uh, when you think about um, India uh, now by population, um, second to China or has surpassed China? I can't remember which is. I think which is, they. I think they surpassed China. I actually. think they did too. I think they did did this year. I think it was. Yeah, surpassed. I think so too. Um, which I have to get obviously used to focusing on and saying because it's hard for me to imagine that any nation has more people than China. But let's uh, let's pivot our conversation to China. Um, they have been actively provoking. I mean, I, second major provocation by China's military in the span of a week. For people who don't know what is going on. 
um, between the United States military and the military of of China. What what is happening? Well, the, in the you know the Taiwan Straits, the Straits between mainland China and Taiwan, uh, you know, very contested area, uh, and there has you know the U.S. Navy regularly kind of patrols that uh, territory. And twice recently in the last several days has uh, the Chinese warships have come very close to U.S. warships. Um, one even uh, yesterday or sorry, the day before yesterday came within 150 yards, which, you know, in 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 big boat talk is basically they're right next to each other and they had to you know make maneuvers to avoid. And, you know, it's. It's again one of those, you know, so many wars have been started by kind of, you know, uh, act, call them accidental uh, collisions. Um, you know, I, I think, Carmen, you might remember, as I did back in right before uh, 9 11, in, uh, just as George uh, W. Bush took presidency, uh, there was a Chinese uh, warplane that bumped into one of our spy planes uh, and the spy plane ended up having to land in China um, and the pilot and all the crew members were arrested. And it was very, I mean, it was, there, there was a lot of saber rattling. I, you know, I was of the mind at the time that, man, it, you know, we might go to war with China and that was 2001. So, you're, you know, uh, I, I think we're, we're, it's not uncommon for those types of situations to kind of lead to uh, like conflict because, you know, blame happens or, you know, it gets, it gets uh, turned in a particular way. Um, so it's, uh, it's very, it's very scary, actually. Yeah. Uh, and this wasn't the only one. I mean, it happened in the air as well as on the sea. Um, and so these Chinese pilots and these Chinese, um, you know, boat pilots as well um, are engaged in what can only be described as not only dangerous, but very provocative um, engagement with uh, with U.S. military uh, personnel and um, airplanes and battleships. And so, yeah, you can't you know, it just the the margin for error in both the air and on the sea is so very small, um, and so let's be <clears throat> let's be praying that not only cooler heads would prevail, but that peace would prevail um, in the midst of this. Talk with us about what's being required of Chinese Christians in terms of registering um, their participation in church. Well, this has been been going on for a long time. There's always been a uh like a registered, both a registered uh, or official uh, Protestant church and an official, um, you know, Catholic church, uh, both of which, uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know, you're, you're monitored when you're, who goes there. I remember, you know, when I was back when I was a missionary and I did stuff in China, uh, I, you know, I'd go to both the underground churches, but also to the registered churches and oftentimes the same people would go to both, but it it's there's this ongoing uh, use of technology uh, to increase the um, like to, to really track people. Uh, you know, part of China has instituted a social credit system, 
Uh, and so, you know, you have an app that basically, you know, if you pay your taxes on time and do all the right things for the, the government likes, then you're you get a grade A. And if you do things like, I don't know, go to church and, um, you know, uh, say the wrong things and have uh, contrarian views, then, you know, in the stuff that you search on on, uh, you know, on the Internet, you know, like it will you'll end up with a degrade um you know it's it's rank a b c d basically or the chinese equivalent and actually even now uh they are if you get a degrade you actually they'll post your picture on uh you know like on the on the bus that you know this person has a grade d they're they're undesirable don't hang out with them it's a very it's a very kind of uh insidious use of technology. And I think there's a lot of, you know, I, I, I see a lot of people increasingly concerned, uh, even here in the U S that, well, we, we don't have an official, uh, you know, social credit system that that kind of thing is, is just so almost easy to have set up, um, that, that, you know, it will be adopted in, you know, Western democracies too. I mean, you have places where, uh, like even in, in Europe, in, in Ireland, uh, in the UK, where, you know, a Facebook post saying that there are only two genders can land you, uh, in jail or at least land you a, uh, a police, uh, men showing up at your door saying, uh, you know, there's concern about your social media posts, that type of thing is just one step away from the social credit system. And, and um, you know, it, it, we should be very aware of, you know, technology's use both, you know, in, in for, for good purposes and sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and also nefarious use for uh, governments to track and prevent people from, you know, having contrarian views. And, yeah. um, you know, just like, you know, the, the, the Roman roads were great for commerce and, you know, ease, ease of travel, but they were also, you know, used by the Roman empire to, you know, control the empire. So it's, you know, these, these things that are, are often, uh, kind of non-political instruments can, can be used both good and bad. So, yeah, it's the it's the trade-off between convenience and things that we may think make our lives more convenient via technology um, versus the security risk that we put ourselves in um, by using them. So I think social media is a good example of that as well. All right, let's take a very, very brief break. When we come back, um, I'm going to ask Luke about, I mean, well, we've talked about Russia and we've talked about China, and I guess I find myself um, thinking and wondering, can we face both directions like, can we face two directions at one time? Like, what what does it look like as Christians in the culture today, as Americans today, um, to be facing off with global powers operating out of extremely different worldviews than our own? Um, and, and what it looks like, you know, to be living as people who desire to be people of peace and living in a world of peace in the midst of, well, those who would like to see their worldview advanced where we live. 
All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. We're continuing our conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Um, Luke, what has Ukraine to do with Taiwan? Or another way of asking this question, you know, there are people who are like, you know, we can't we can't keep doing this over here. We got to pivot our attention over here as if we can only face, you know, one direction at a time. Can you talk with us about this observation that um, that Ukraine and our activity in Ukraine actually does have something to do with the preservation of peace in Taiwan? Well, yeah, I mean, there's from the beginning of the conflict in Ukraine, there has been uh, rumblings about, you know, whether China will use the opportunity of a distracted world to go after Taiwan. I mean, I think we even had this conversation that, you know, it's, you know, China with the Olympic Games, maybe they would use it to invade Taiwan or or whatever like these these moments where the world is very distracted in one area like open up another area um and so the question is whether or not we can you know fend off uh war in ukraine and also war in taiwan and you know it's various uh, defense uh people who, are, who study this stuff are are split. Some would say that, you know, no, we wouldn't have any problem um, that, you know, China's uh, army is still, while it's large, it's still not fully kind of uh, to, to the capacity to be able to, uh, you know, take Taiwan and hold Taiwan. You know, these, I mean, that's, that's the challenge, right? It's not just can you invade a place, but you can you invade a place and then hold it? Uh, and you know, Taiwan is is not a is different than than Ukraine. Ukraine has you know vast parts of Ukraine are fairly flat and and it's it's good for growing uh, grain, whereas Taiwan is basically uh, a, a, an island of mountains, which mountains have always been a challenge for for any military. Um, and so, you know, there's, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm of the mind that, you know, as we, uh, we, we have, we're 
leaving the period of history, um, which was the end of the Cold War, and uh, you know, looking at you know having been basically the the the, the lone superpower left standing, and we're entering into a world in which there are other superpowers uh, and ones that are previously empires that are looking to be empires again. Uh, That's happening in the Middle East, uh, but it's also China is very much a superpower in, in Russia. I don't know. It's, it's that they were, you know, a superpower in the Soviet union, but they're not, they're not actually that big, but they're aggressive. And it's a, it's a good question of whether or not we can. And I'm of the mind that I think we can, but it would require a lot of us. Uh, and, and I'm not, I, I guess the question is whether or not we as a people in the United States would be of the mood to enter into such conflict. And I, I'm not so sure that we would. I mean, they, I mean, mind you, the U.S. was not super excited to get into World War II either. I mean, it took uh, it took a lot. Actually, I mean, it, it it took the bombing of Pearl Harbor for us to actually start going after the Japanese in any serious way. Um, and so, you know, these these moments like this are should be uh, clarifying for us. But you know, I I'm just I I what I worry about honestly, Carmen, is the you know the the U.S. soft power, the fact that, you know, here we are in June and basically most of the embassies around the world are heavily pushing uh, the LGBTQ stuff all over the world. It is, I mean, there's, uh, you know, the What is Woman, the, the film by Matt Walsh uh, was seen by over 100 million people uh, this last week. And there's only 400 million people on Twitter. And so a quarter of the world watched that film. And if they think this is what America is about, then it's no surprise that they would be a little bit weary of our intentions, whether it's, you know, it's, I think it's that kind of thing. the, The soft power that America is projecting around the world, I think is, is going to, be uh, much more uh, of a of a challenge for us than the hard power of bombs and guns uh, in in the next uh, in the next decade at least. Yeah. So as of yesterday, just um, 170 million views. 170 million. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. All right, we gotta we gotta leave it right there, um, Luke. That's Luke Moon. You can um, you can find articles about some of what we talked about today at Providence Mag. Dot com. You can also check out what is happening at the Philos Project, which I love, philosproject.org. We'll be right back. Uh, yes, for those of you um, wondering, United States embassies around the world um, have the option to fly the quote-unquote pride flag um, on the same pole as the U.S., uh, as the American flag flies, um, and that is happening. Um, not least of which, it in, um, uh, yeah, in right next to the Holy See, like right, in, <laughs> right next to the Vatican. It's just crazy. Anyway, we got another hour up next.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.